Welcome to Positively Pro-Life, a podcast brought to you by the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation. Positively Pro-Life brings you inspirational stories, important legislative updates, and informative interviews as we restore and strengthen a culture of life. I'm Bonnie Finnerty, Education Director at the Federation, and I am joined by my distinguished colleague, Maria Gallagher, our Legislative Director. Hello, Maria. Hi, Bonnie. It's great to be with you today. It is great to be with you. Well, we have a very special guest today with an incredible story to tell. Priscilla Hurley actually survived an abortion and is a speaker with the Abortion Survivors Network. Priscilla also had her own abortions and worked in an abortion clinic, but then she found healing and turned her life 180 degrees in the other direction, becoming a leader in abstinence education. Her journey is powerful, and we are eager to have her tell her story. In addition, Maria will discuss legislative answers to common abortion questions. But we'll start with some awesome pro-life inspiration. With Christmas just 10 days away, many of us are finishing up our holiday shopping. Well, I want to share a clothing line with you that you might just want to check out, especially if you like Hawaiian shirts. It's called 21 Pineapples, and there's an incredible inspirational story behind it. I'd like to share an article I found online recently written by a woman named Kristen Boza. It's titled, Teen Entrepreneur Launches 21 Pineapples Clothing Line. Nate Simon is a man of many talents, a comedian, a fashion model, a multi-sport athlete, and now the CEO of 21 Pineapples, a clothing line dedicated to changing the way others perceive people with Down syndrome. Nate was diagnosed with Down syndrome at birth, which was a moment his mother, Holly Simon, recalls in a blog post on 21pineapples.com. Instead of the congratulations that I had expected, I heard, I'm sorry, Holly wrote. Sorry for what? We were filled with what he won't do. We even received sympathy cards in the mail. We all promised Nate that he would be treated just like everyone else, and Nate has proven everyone wrong. 19 years later, Nate has not only proven everyone wrong, he has excelled in everything he sets his mind to. He has won more than 100 medals in the Special Olympics, has modeled during Fashion Week in Los Angeles, and he confidently creates shirts and accessories to spread his message of love and acceptance. Holly says that in the first few months that 21 Pineapples uh, launched, the company made close to $1 million in sales. The inspiration behind 21 Pineapples is incredibly organic. Nate has grown an audience that adores the fact that he spreads love wherever he goes, Holly said. Holly's oldest child, daughter Lindsay, came up with the company's name. 21 represents the extra 21st chromosome kids with Down syndrome share. Pineapple came about because it's a sign of welcoming and they have their own crown and we all deserve to wear our own crown, Holly said. In addition to the Hawaiian shirts, 21 Pineapple sells a variety of apparel and accessories with the motto, be a good human on them. Nate also designed a series of shirts to celebrate World Down Syndrome Day and he was chosen to design a t-shirt for this year's Chicago Polar Plunge a fundraiser supporting Special Olympic Chicago and Special Children's Charities. 
A percentage of all sales at 21 Pineapples goes directly to support Down syndrome organizations throughout the world. Nate's goal is to change the world with love. Nate makes friends wherever he goes because his love is real and incredibly infectious. Kids like Nate do not see color, size, and they don't care about what's in your pocket. They just want you to be kind to them, and in return, they will be kind to you, Holly said. Love is the answer for Nate because literally that is all the world needs, especially now. The whole family is excited about the success of 21 Pineapples and its future growth. A few country music celebrities are interested in getting involved in the company's mission. We know this is something that's going to be gigantic and we know with Nate's love that we're going to change the world one funky Hawaiian shirt at a time. To find out more and place an order, visit 21pineapples.com. Maria. Thank you so much, Bonnie. Now, the following information is from National Right to Life. It's a series of pro-abortion arguments and how best to counter them. Argument number one, it's not a human being or person. It's just a blob of tissue. You may hear that a fetus is just a part of the woman's body. It's not a baby. It has no meaningful life. And it's a parasite. Well, you can counter this by saying, when a woman is pregnant, Science tells us that the new life she carries is a completely and fully new human being from the moment of fertilization. The baby living in her mother is as distinct and unique a separate person human being as I am from you. This human being, as we all do, has the unalienable right to life and deserves full protection under the law. Argument number two. This argument goes, a woman has the right to control her own body. You might hear, we can't force a woman to carry a pregnancy to term against her will. Or every woman should have the right to control her own body, also known as reproductive freedom. Also, it's a private decision between a woman and her doctor. The government should stay out of our bedrooms. You can counter this by saying, Every mother is faced with profound decisions to make for herself and her child, but these decisions can never include the right to kill her baby. Mothers have a right to be fully informed about the facts at least 24 hours before making this life or death decision for themselves and their child. Argument number three, you may hear every child a wanted child and other social arguments. You may also hear, it's unfair to bring an unwanted child into this world. It leads to child abuse. Or the poor need to limit their children or they will be forever on welfare. You can counter this by saying, we will never end poverty in our world simply by killing poor children. The baby is not the real problem. The circumstances are. Killing this child will never help address those issues. It often makes it worse. A poor mother is still poor the day after her child is aborted. Only now she's the mother of a dead baby. Argument number four, back alley abortions. You may hear tens of thousands will resort to back alley abortions and women will die. And you may hear abortion is safer than childbirth. You can counter this by saying, the numbers often used by pro-abortionists to back their claims are vast fabrications. 
mostly made up by the pro-abortion lobby, as admitted by Dr. Bernard Nathanson, founder of NARAL. The widespread introduction of antibiotics into medicine, not legalization of abortion, saved the lives of women who would have otherwise died due to botched abortions. Mothers deserve better answers than the death of their children through the violence of abortion, whether it be legal or illegal. Bonnie. Thank you so much, Maria. Well, I am honored to introduce today's guest, and I think she might be the guest that comes from the furthest away. She's actually um, joining us today from Alaska. Um, abortion had become Priscilla Hurley's unseen burden, even while in the womb, as she survived an attempted DNC abortion when only three and a half months gestational age. The trauma from this would lead her as a young woman to her own abortions, which then led to taking a job in an abortion clinic. Her real life experiences with abortion are very unique and her words about the subject reveal a painful understanding, but through the eyes of a life redeemed and healed. Priscilla, Priscilla has over 40 years of master's level work experience in the health field as an educator, advocate, administrator, and manager. This includes her God-called work assignment as the director of the largest abstinence-only education program in Southern California for many years. Priscilla's story is multidimensional and rich. It's a source of encouragement, empowerment, and also education, and it will minister truth to the hearts of those who listen. Priscilla resides in Anchorage, Alaska, where her three adult children, their spouses, and her 11 grandchildren also live. Welcome, Priscilla, to Positively Pro-Life. Thank you so much, Bonnie. It's wonderful to be here. Such an honor. Priscilla, you are a survivor of an abortion. Can you share with us how and when you came to learn that and the impact it had on you? Certainly. Um, also, thank you, Marie. I didn't mean to leave you out. <laughs> um, so good to be here. Well, I was 19 years old. Uh, the telling of my mother's secret was prompted, I believe, by something that had happened to me. Around five months earlier of her telling me her secret, my behavior of sexualizing my own needs resulted in conception of my first child at 19 and I was very immature. So I called my mom and I, cause I really had no idea what to do. This was a while ago, 1969. Um, so I called her and as I remember it, she came directly to college right away and swooped me up and drove me back home to my, my place, only about a three hour drive away. Everything is a little bit foggy, but I remember um, going into psychologists and they were asking me vague questions about pregnancy and what I, you know, being pregnant. And I remember such a feeling of isolation and loneliness as I entered the hospital where I was a DNC abortion procedure was performed. Um, all of this was set up really by my dad and my mom. There were no discussions of anything, but it was a responsibility the outcome of which I had to take. Um, I went back to college and I thought, well, I'm not pregnant anymore. 
But down I went into that spiral of depression and drugs and alcohol and more promiscuity. Um, nothing was ever talked about. The trauma was stuck in my brain and body, manifesting a variety of reckless and destructive behaviors. So five months later, after this awful event, while walking together on the sidewalk to pick up my sister at the airport, my mom turned to me and said, oh, by the way, I tried to have you aborted. The power of those words froze me in time. I remember it just like it happened yesterday. And <clears throat> my immediate response was that of just being stunned. It opened my eyes though to understand a few things. It explained why I never felt loved by my mom, wanted, valued, or even that I belonged to the family. The abortion attempt affected me emotionally, mentally, spiritually for many, many years. And I think I want to just interject um, the, the word humanity, because I think abortion survivors, one of the things, at least in my case and I, others as well, we struggle with the fact that we are even human. Mm -hmm. So that was the immediate impact. And when I came to Christ in 1981, after the birth of my third pregnancy, my child, my living child that I decided not to abort, <laughs> praise God. <laughs> in the early, in the years after that, I would discover more details about what happened in my mom's case and why she decided to do that. Did you want me to share a little bit of that? Sure. Well, it was 1949. She had four children already. She was married to an experimental test pilot. And these pilots are those that take to the airways and, and test planes before they go to production to make sure the nuts and bolts stay in. So she was widowed in February of 1949 mm. um, because this plane did fall apart in the air. Um, in the Pacific Ocean, they, that, that was his grave and they never found his body. So she was devastated, right? I mean, the grief was overwhelming and she was pregnant with me. So she went to Southern California down to San Diego to visit friends. And I don't have medical documentation, of course, because it was so long, but I have her oral history and some suspicious notations in my grandmother's diary. She came back from San Diego. She was recently widowed. This was only three weeks after he died. Mm -hmm. And um, she came back. And there was a note that she went to Mexico. And so I, after talking to Melissa Odin, uh, who, by the way, says to say hi, but <laughs> <laughs> um, she, uh, uh, she was brown. She went to Mexico. And then a few weeks later, she went to her doctor's office. And he said, you know, you're four months pregnant. So after I came to Christ and started asking her questions, it was determined by the doctor because of her symptoms and what he said was a su successful abortion that, like Claire Caldwell, I'm a twinless twin. So yeah. that was another uh, source of her loss and grief and her shame. Um, so that's kind of a summary of the story. She never really talked to me about it till that time. And then 
you know, it's a complicated thing. She lived with the shame of that decision she made. And, and I, I was kind of the recipient of it. <laughs> now, for someone who might not be aware, what is the Abortion Survivors Network? Thank you so much for asking that. Um, ASN, as we call it, is a place where individuals who know that they are survivors of an attempted abortion. In other words, they're the babies that, that quote unquote blob of tissue, you know, that survived the abortion attempt. And as you can see, I'm not a blob of tissue, I'm a human being. Um, and so we are, we are the face of the unborn. Um, and uh, so we can dismantle these arguments um, in, you know, for those that have eyes to see and can receive that in their hearts. Um, ASN has a healing program, a speaker's training program, and we provide support in many ways, such as helping to secure medical documentation. And it's a place where survivors can heal through the community that understands the challenges physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually that may be hindering their uh, ability to thrive. Um, we are healed and then we find our voice. So it's a very powerful community. Um, it has a legislative arm to try to impact legislation. Um, and it has grown uh, since 2019 where we had 200 plus, we now have 600. So it's been, it's been growing and we know that there are probably around 1800 survivors per year that we don't know about. So we, we want to spread, because these people are hurting. Um, you know, I mean, I, I didn't realize it till I went through healing how much the abortion attempt. And if you can imagine the violence, you talk about the violence of abortion, abortion survivors know that. I mean, we've, we were in the womb when these instruments tried to take our lives. In my case, that's my specific detail. So it's, it's a wonderful organization, yeah. What do abortion survivors share in common? They, share, they do share many things. Melissa Odin has written a book called You Are More. It's a healing workbook for survivors. Many have taken the time to process through that, that book for healing. And I think, again, one of them is the question of humanity, valuing ourselves, rejection, insecurity, shame, understanding trauma and the effects of it. That's one thing we get into. And trying to cope and, and live in a world where abortions are widespread. These are, these are, this is the activity that attempted to take our life, right? So it's very, it's kind of this challenging balance between life, you know, between death, the fact that, that our demise was planned and and implemented and attempted, but yet on the other hand, we live and we know that there's a miraculous uh, intervention by God that we do live. So it's a very powerful thing, but it's gotta be processed, you know? So within, within ASN, we can find the peace of that dichotomy and, um, and healing. Why did you decide to get involved in the network? Well, I knew I was a survivor at the age of 19, um, which explained, 
much of what I felt during childhood, you know, mm -hmm. uh, aloneness and just sadness and depression. I mean, I had good memories, don't get me wrong. And my mom remarried a year after I was born. And she, God sent her a wonderful man who took care of all of us. There were five children. <laughs> so he was a, an amazing man. And he provided us with a wonderful childhood, a lot of things and distractions. And, you know, it was back in the 50s. So, you know, there was a lot more protection for, for us as children. Um, but in, in 2019, when I first contacted Melissa through AS, at ASN, um, I came alive with excitement, seriously, <laughs> that there were more abortion survivors. It's, I'm retired from full-time work in 2020, and so I jumped in to learn and to contribute in whatever way I could. So I love our ASN family. It's so rewarding to encourage and love on fellow abortion survivors. I have facilitated several healing groups, including an international group where we have survivors from all over the world, from Australia to Canada and every place in between, Europe, Sri Lanka, the Philippines. It's amazing and a joy to witness the freedom that comes from being in this community. Now the Abortion Survivor Network has been around since about 2012. I'm wondering, so it's a fairly young organization, relatively speaking. Um, what impact do you see ASN having on the national conversation about abortion? Yes, well, you know, Melissa Oden has been speaking out publicly for many years. Um, I think in, in, when she incorporated to bring more people into that, um, it's, it's a young organization. You're absolutely right. So it's growing. Um, but we just had an Empowered by Life event in Kansas City, Missouri, where six survivors shared their stories for the very first time. They had gone through the healing program and then the speaker's training program. And they were joined by several other survivors, including myself afterwards, who participated in a Q&A panel. Melissa has been speaking for many years, like I said. She and a couple other survivors who have national presence have shared publicly and are educating about the reality of the damage of abortion. And so the more and more survivors that come forth that are trained and have a voice, I think we'll be able to magnify the truth of abortion um, throughout the nation. This is the vision that Melissa has. And so we're, we're drastically trying to raise funding for this because it, as you know, it's it takes money to equip and hold events so that people in the community can learn. But individually, we're also going out and doing what we can on podcasts like this and other uh, platforms to get the word out. For those who are pro-abortion, when they have to look in the face of one who survived an abortion attempt, it's, 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 they may not even want to look there. You know, they, it's, I know Melissa has reported that in her congressional uh, testimony, some of the pro-abortion candidate or Congress people won't even look at her in her face because it's too, you know, shameful on their hearts to even consider that she's a living human being that survived a saline uh, abortion attempt. 
Priscilla, can we pivot a little bit and talk about your work teaching abstinence-only education and why you chose to get involved in that and why you believe it's so important? Sure, I love that that topic <laughs> as much as I love ASN, right? But but anyway, I, I was 34 when I was introduced to a book titled Has Sex Education Failed Our Teenagers by Dinah Richard, published by The Focus on the Family. I had been a Christian for about three years. And in that book, um, I, well, first, let me just say that in previous years, I was part of the problem because I was teaching uh, school-aged children, teenagers, how to have safe sex. That was part of my work history as a health educator. I also was a victim of trauma that comes from having abortions and working in the abortion industry. So, and I was a young Christian. So I found this book. I mean, my life was full of ignorance and darkness because I didn't have anybody help me understand the value and purpose of our sexuality. So I believe that lie. And after reviewing the book, it's like God opened my eyes because I was a, he was renewing my mind with truth. If only I had heard this as a young woman, if only would I have made different decisions, but I didn't have an opportunity to make those decisions because I was ignorant and I wasn't smart enough to figure it out myself. I needed somebody to direct me. But this, this idea of saying no and valuing what God has given you was so foreign to me. So I got really excited. So within a few months after discovering this, I was invited for an interview to and my life circumstances were just perfect for this too. Obviously, it was it was God orchestrated, I do believe. And I was accepted, I was offered a job with a nonprofit organization. And I moved from rural Alaska to Whittier, California, and Southern California to become the executive director of a nonprofit that had a four-day educational program that was already in several high schools um, at the time, local Southern California high schools. So I um, was there for nine years. I was a single mom at the time too. So that was a challenge I have three, with my two, three children, but they are so happy that I took that opportunity because it was enriching for their life to live in Southern California. And I grew up in Northern California, so I was able to go to, to you know, holidays and stuff to see my parents. So it was really a great opportunity. But the students embraced the message. That's what inspires me even today, because they nobody is telling them the truth. And so when they hear it in a caring, compassionate way, along with personal stories, because we shared that as well, they rise to that standard. They receive it. I'm, I fought against that, oh, they're all going to do it anyway mentality. I'm, I didn't settle for that. I, I believe in young people that they would strive to, to pursue as a standard. So Priscilla, that, we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you so much for being oh, with us today on the program. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. God bless you both. And remember, there's always a reason to choose life.